Hello. Hello. <laughs> there are uh, there are a lot of reasons to love Chapel Hill. There are like endless reasons to love Chapel Hill, right? There's uh there's the uh, let's see the hot dog special on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The Suttons you definitely want to get it on that. Uh, there's Merritt's BLT. There's Pepper's Pizza. There's the um, about every fifth March or so the giant dance party that happens on Franklin Street. Um, let's see, just countless reasons to love Chapel Hill. This is one of my favorite reasons right here. At this time of year, every year, Chapel Hill recreates itself. And there's just this sense of freshness and newness. And just saturating the place, there is this sense of a new start, right? A new start, and I would love that. And so if this is your first time being in town, if you're in town for the very first time, then welcome home. If you're back from the summer, welcome home. If you've been here the whole time and you're never going anywhere, welcome home. Right? <laughs> welcome to your fresh start. Every year it's an opportunity to begin over again. And that's one of the reasons we absolutely love this place. That's one of the reasons we meet out here uh, at the beginning of the fall and, and, and through the summer. Because when we first started at the church, um, let's see, two summers ago now, this is where we had our very first worship service, right here by the old well, because yeah. this is the symbol of the community. And we wanted to say from the very start that we are a church that is tied to this place. We are rooted in this place, and we love this town. All right, We love this town because we know that God loves this town, and that drives us. And so... We want to come back here every year to start over again and to remind ourselves how we started and to remind ourselves of this opportunity of a fresh start. So that's why we're out here this morning. God, thank you for this day, for this incredibly beautiful day. Thank you for our friends that are here this morning. Thank you for the people that make up this church. Thank you for your churches that are up and down Franklin Street this morning, that are all around the town of Chapel Hill this morning, throughout the state of North Carolina, across the country, around the world. Thank you for your church that is worshiping you today. We are one, we are united together. We don't wanna set ourselves apart from another church. We wanna remind ourselves that we are a part of a much bigger story. And it's the story of people around the world who have experienced transformation and redemption because of your love. Thank you for that. We're moved by that. I pray that that will be fresh in our hearts again today. In your name we pray. Amen. Cool. So this summer, uh, we've been going through the book of Romans. Light summer reading. Okay? Taking it easy a little bit. Only like the deepest theological book in the Bible. Okay? Romans is a thick book. It is a deep book and it is filled with just this eloquent theology that Paul is laying out. It's written by Paul, one of the early leaders of the Christian church. And the whole book, Paul talks about transformation that happens through the, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the love of God the Father. And Paul knows what he's talking about because he himself has experienced that transformation. We're looking at a man who is just utterly changed. 
when I'm talking about a slight adjustment in his life, his life has been turned completely upside down. And he is motivated by that to tell the entire world, to tell anyone who will listen about the name of Jesus and about the man who changed his life forever. At the beginning of Paul's story, when we first meet him, he is fighting as hard as he can against this new movement uh, called the Way, called, the, called Christianity, the followers of Jesus. And he is fighting it with everything that he can. And in the midst of this fight, Jesus appears to him and completely changes his life. And so we have this man that's a picture of transformation. He completely turns in the opposite direction. And as hard as he was trying to stop Christianity, he pours the same amount of energy and passion into trying to advance the name of Jesus Christ into places where people have never heard that name uttered before. And he says that's his motivation, that's his ambition, is to preach the gospel where people have not heard the name of Jesus Christ before. And he's motivated by that. He is so motivated by the love of Jesus. So when we talk about Paul, the, the, the essence of Paul is not that he was a brilliant theologian, even though he was. The essence of Paul is not that he's an eloquent writer, even though he was. The essence of Paul is not that he is a strategist for how to plant new churches and start new churches and spread the movement of Christianity, even though we still look at him as a model today. The essence of Paul is a man who's transformed by the love of Jesus completely turned <clears throat> upside down by the love of Jesus. I have a, a friend who um, recently started a theological discussion on Facebook, which is a really bad idea. <laughs> Don't do it. But it gets worse than that, okay? The discussion was centered around the question of, like, who is a better model for ministry? Paul, and the way that he spread the gospel, to like far reaches of places, or Jesus, okay, who kind of stayed in one central location and lived his life, you know, in one central location, didn't travel very far. That is an idiotic statement, okay? No offense to my friend, but it's like, okay, who's better at spreading the message of Jesus, Paul or the message of Jesus himself, all right? And, and I think that if Paul heard that discussion going on, then he would like, he would just want to like roundhouse punch everyone in the face. Okay? The roundhouse punch, that's not even a thing. <laughs> but he would invent it and then he would do it because he was mad. Okay? And then he would ask, what is Facebook? <laughs> and then he would ask, what happened to Google Plus? Okay. Um, so anyway, a couple of Google Plus people out here. All right. Um, so, so. That completely misses the essence of it, okay? At the heart of it, he's not a brilliant strategist. He's not a, a deep theologian. At the heart of it all, he is all of those things. But at the heart of it, he is a man motivated by the love of Jesus, transformed by the love of Jesus, and gives his life over to spreading the message of that in any way that he possibly can. And that's what he's doing with the book of Romans. Okay. This is kind of close to the end of Paul's journeys as a missionary. It's after he spent 25 years traveling different places and he's preaching the gospel. It's after he's written several other letters. And Paul ends up writing like half the New Testament. Letters that he writes to the church make up about half of the New Testament. 
And so it's close, it's after 25 years of doing all of this. And so Romans is kind of this condensed thing, this collection of, of a lot of those different thoughts. And so that's why it's this deep theology. He kind of expounds more on the things that he's been discovering all the way along and puts the heart of the gospel here in this book. And, and so, so here's what he says. We've been going chapter by chapter each week through the summer, and this week we're on chapter 15, okay? And we're getting close to the end of the book. Only one chapter after this. And so Paul is getting to the closing point and he's kind of wrapping it up here. He's kind of giving his last thoughts to the people uh, at Rome, the church of Rome that he's writing to. And here's what he says, uh, starting in verse 5. He, he says this prayer for them. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement. Let, let's stop right there for a second. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement. Um, later he also has a prayer that's similar. It's in verse 13. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. The God of encouragement and endurance. The God of hope who fills with joy and peace. So what Paul's saying here is the idea that Christianity is a long road. Christianity is a long journey and it is going to require endurance. The road will be long. So when you hit those points in your life, when you're following Jesus, and you feel like everything has dried up, you feel like everything is just dead, then realize that you are in just a season of your life, okay? But this is a long road. There are no shortcuts to going deep with following Jesus. It's going to be a tough road. It's going to be difficult at times. But God is the God who gives endurance. Hang on. Hang on. We, we have a saying that we like to say around here. It's this. You don't burn down the orchard in winter. You don't burn down the orchard in winter. There will be seasons in your life where you're not seeing fruit and you're not seeing growth in your relationship with God. But there are things happening at the roots. There are things happening beneath the surface that you can't see right now. Hang on. Hang on and endure. This is the God of endurance. He will come to you. Okay, and you will see the season of fruit again. You'll see that springtime begin to happen in your life again. Okay? He's the God who gives endurance. He's the God who gives encouragement. So the road is long, but he gives encouragement. You don't walk the road alone. He walks it with you. He leads you and he guides you. And he uses people around you to help you each step of the way. So this is the God of hope, he said. The God of hope. And, and in the nature of hope is looking ahead to something that is coming, right? It's hanging on to like a certainty right now of things that you don't even see yet. Paul says you don't hope for what you already have. You hope for something that is coming. This is the God of hope. And you can trust him. He's the God who gives all joy. He's the God who gives peace. And that doesn't mean that everything is joyful all the time. There will be pain in your life. Paul's own life is, is the you know, reveals that truth. But he's the God who gives joy in the middle of pain, and he's the God who gives peace in the middle of the fight, in the middle of the struggle. Okay? So that's what he's praying over these people. And, and, and so he goes on to say, may the God who gives in, endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is, he's praying for unity among the church. A little background on the church in Rome. Okay? Church in Rome is made up of these two different groups of people. Okay? There were the Jewish Christians who had kind of come out of the Jewish religion and had embraced Christ as the Messiah. And so they were hanging on to a lot of what the, the roots, what they came out of. There were also Gentile Christians, which simply means if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, okay? So it was also these people who didn't have a background in the Jewish faith. And so for generations, Jewish people and Gentile people had been separated because Jewish people were identified as the chosen people of God. Gentile people were seen as not the chosen people of God. But the ministry of Jesus completely turns this upside down. Jesus destroys division. And so Paul is telling these people that, that this, this, these two groups that are often at each other's throats in this church, he's saying, listen, there needs to be unity among you. There needs to be unity among you because Christ died for every one of you. Because Christ makes all of us now the chosen people because of his sacrifice. Because of the salvation that he offers to everyone. It's a new day in Jesus and the door has been flung wide open and he invites us in he embraces us. So it says there needs to be unity. Now there's a there's a tension here, this idea of unity, okay? What unites them? Does it mean that they need to give up their backgrounds of where they came from and kind of become uniform, the same people? Absolutely not. Unity and uniform are not the same thing. Okay? God hates division, but God revels in diversity. God loves diversity. Look around. Yeah, he celebrates it. He loves it. And there's a way for you to be united and at the same time be diverse. And celebrate that diversity of who you are, the unique person that you are. The things that unite us, he says, is that we follow Christ. We're headed in, this, in a shared direction, a shared journey from slavery into freedom, from death into life, from who we were into who we are become. And we're all headed in the direction of Christ, being drawn by Christ, and that's what unites us together. So we absolutely strive for unity, but at the same time we celebrate diversity. We celebrate diversity. That was one of our early prayers as the church here. Sometimes when, you, when you're starting a new church, people will encourage you to kind of identify a niche group of people. And they'll say, okay, you need to figure out like who it is you're trying to reach and go after just this niche group of people. And that thought absolutely turned our stomachs. It turned our stomachs. And anytime someone suggested that, we flatly just, you know, denied that. That's not what we wanted to do. We did, however, have a target place in our hearts, and it's right at the heart of Chapel Hill, right in the middle of Chapel Hill. We knew that we wanted to be here in the middle of it all, and our prayer from the beginning is that this church would reflect the diversity that you see when you walk down Franklin Street. That was our prayer, and we're grateful that almost every Sunday when you come and, and you're a part of this church, the church looks like Franklin Street. It looks like Franklin Street, and we want to continue to pray that prayer. So we celebrate that. We celebrate it. We intentionally want to be a part of the life here downtown Chapel Hill at the heart of it all. The love, the heart of Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus.
want to be unified, but at the same point, we celebrate diversity. He goes on and adds this instruction to it. Okay? He says, be united and accept one another, just as Christ has accepted you. Accept one another. That's a simple thought. That's like, you know, play nice together, okay? Be a good person. Okay, we can all kind of get around that idea, right? We're, we're all pretty cool with that. But then he adds this clarification to it. Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Now the stakes are completely raised. Because all throughout the book of Romans, Paul has been hammering away at the idea of just how far away from God we were. Just how separated from Him we were until Christ came along and embraced us and brought us in. So it's this thing where it says you need to live with absolute mercy and grace for people being reminded how far away you used to be from God. It's not just kind of accept people who are like you. It means dig deep and live out grace and mercy in your life. Paul, ha Paul hammers away at this idea of just how badly we needed God and then the beauty of how badly God wanted us and how far he went to bring us in. So we need to be reminded that we don't sit in, at the judge's bench. We don't sit in the jury box. We are fellow traitors on trial, desperate for grace and mercy. Live that way. Live that way in your relationships with other people, he says. Accept one another as Christ has accepted you. And then he wraps it up with this statement that he makes. We kind of mentioned it earlier. He says, it's been my ambition all along to preach the gospel in places where Jesus has not yet been named. To go to places where people did not know the name of Jesus and to let his mouth be the first one to declare that incredible name of Jesus, that life-transforming name of Jesus. And there might be some people here that are stirred by that same ambition, that, that you just have this like hug in you like I want to go to places where no nobody else has gone with the gospel and to tell people about this incredible message of God's incredible love and there might be people in here and if that's you then I want to challenge you to live and encourage you to follow that God will go every step of the way of you but for every one of us for every one of us in the context that we're in right now we're in a little bit of a different situation Okay, Paul wanted to go to the frontier, to the places where the name of Jesus had never been heard. In this context that we live in, the name of Jesus has been heard a lot. Okay? Chapel Hill is a different place, but we are still in the Bible Belt. Okay? And, and the name of Jesus saturates the South like sweet tea and blueberry biscuits. Okay? <laughs> it's everywhere, right? It's just part of the fabric of the South. And so the name of Jesus has been heard. But here's the distinction for us. We live in a place where maybe an authentic expression of the heart of Jesus has yet to be seen. You are going to be surrounded by people who think that they know what Jesus is about. A lot of them having terrible experiences with people who bear the name of Jesus. And have done hurtful things to them in the name of Jesus have manipulated them in the name of Jesus. They know the name. But 
But there are people around you that have yet to experience the heart of who Jesus really is. That is our challenge. To live authentic lives, authentic expressions of what the heart of Jesus looks like. To pattern our lives after this. And to be people who live with mercy and grace with a reckless kind of love. The kind of love that gives itself away. Another one of our favorite sayings and kind of uh, at the heart of who we are is that we believe in reckless love and we believe that a love that gives itself away is the most eloquent articulation of the gospel anyone will ever see. A love that gives itself away. Live that out by the way of your transformed life. The whole book of Romans is about this idea of a transformed life. So we follow this journey through these chapters. And Paul talks about the deep, rich love of God, the incredible, far-reaching mercy of God. And then we get to the hinge point at chapter 12 where he makes this statement. And he says, Therefore I urge you in view of God's mercy to live, to, to offer your body as living sacrifices. And he says, Don't live conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed. Be transformed. And then the rest of the book is about what it means to live a transformed life. It's an interesting hinge word in the book, transformed. It's only, the, the, the Greek version of this word is only mentioned four times in the entire New Testament. Twice, Paul uses it himself. The other two times, it's used in the Gospel. And it's used in the story to describe what happens to Jesus when he's up on the mountain, and the word there is translated as transfigured, okay? Where the disciples catch a glimpse of Jesus on the mountain, and they see the true nature of Jesus, right? His glory is revealed to them. And what has been on the inside of him the entire time breaks out. It's like the veil is pulled back, and we see the true character and nature of who Christ is. And in those two stories, they use the word, this, this word that we translate as transformed. Okay? That's what it means to be transformed. To live in such a way, it's not about the outer casing. To live in a way that the veil is pulled back and the character of Christ breaks out of your body. People see it in your life. People are compelled and convinced by the transformed life that you live. The nature of Christ breaks out. How do we measure transformation? How do we measure transformation? You know it's happening when the character of Christ is revealed in your life. That's our prayer for this church. That's our prayer for you. Is that you will live transformed. How do you know when it's happening? When the character of Christ begins to break out of your life. We live in a place that's saturated with the name of Jesus. But we want to live authentic lives that help people experience the reality of the heart of who He is. It's in how we live. It's marked by this being transformed by the incredible grace, by the reckless love of God. God, thank you for this letter from Paul and this encouragement to us. And I pray that you would just grab a hold of us and those of us who have experienced that transformation, that we would live it. That people would be compelled by the lives that we live. 
not by the way that we can spin a phrase, not by the way that we can that we can lay out an argument, but by the lives that we live. Let that be the truest argument. Let that be the truest evidence of you. We live in a place where people have heard the name. Help us to be people who reveal the heart of Jesus. Let people see it in us. Help us to be transformed. In your name we pray. Amen.